0: You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AM's The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Margareta Dovegal, Managing Director at Resource Works Society. This week's topic is the powers of provinces on natural resources and climate in light of a recent Supreme Court decision, plus a big step forward for more LNG in BC. Margareta, good morning, and thank you so much for joining us. As always, great to be here. Good morning. For now, let's dive into news from the Supreme Court of Canada. The Federal Impact Assessment Act has been found unconstitutional. Tell us about that.
1: Well, it certainly caused a lot of ripples in the industry. And as many of these things go, and uh, often in matters of law and uh, uh, constitutionality, jurisdiction is the piece that is important. And uh, the Supreme Court of Canada uh, recently had a decision that Uh, essentially reinforced that environmental regulation is an area of shared responsibility between federal and provincial levels of government. Uh, And just to backtrack a little bit, one of the uh, core pieces of uh, this liberal government federally um, on this file in particular was substantively rewriting the federal impact assessment legislation uh, through something called Bill C-69. I believe that was in the first term, uh, just uh, following the 2015 federal election. And they have substantially, it substantially changed um, a number of criteria. One of the intents of the new legislation was to provide greater clarity and certainty about process. Uh, you know, criticisms about the politicization, the political interference potential, um, you know, certainly haven't, uh, you know, completely disappeared. If if anything, there is greater concern uh, from industry and many proponents about uh, the potential for political decision makers to ultimately. Decide the future of major projects that fall under federal jurisdiction. Um, and this was a piece of legislation that was largely opposed by the oil and gas industry. Uh, there was some tentative support from mining, uh, which uh, at that point was persuaded or persuadable that uh, the clarifying, certainty creating intent of the legislation would uh, assist in very large projects getting built. Uh, but several years on, uh, this latest Supreme Court decision really reaffirms that continues to be an area of contention and uncertainty. Um, So the government uh, has been told that they have to effectively rewrite it. Um, There was a decision uh, reached by the Alberta Court of Appeal um, that uh, felt that the Impact Assessment Act, that uh, replacement legislation for the previous uh, uh, federal framework, uh, was outside of Parliament's jurisdiction. Um, So the Attorney General uh, federally appealed the decision and went to the Supreme Court, and uh, the Supreme Court allowed the appeal. Um, And, you know, it it does fall into this uh, ultimate uh, question, who has the right to determine what Canada's resource future looks like? And the constitutional reality is that provinces have a huge amount of say. Uh, It is within their domain to uh, determine how and whether natural resources in their province get to be developed. Um, So there's essentially a question here of overreach by federal decision makers. And uh, we've been hearing from the federal environment minister, uh, Stephen Gobo that, uh, yes, as they are being forced to, they're willing to make some changes to the Impact Assessment Act, uh, but they don't feel that the amendments are likely to fundamentally change the outcome of the process itself. Uh, industry is still thinking a lot about uh, ultimately what this is going to mean. There's a huge amount of legal analysis that is currently taking place, and uh, just a lot of debate about um, where we want the country's economic future to go that's going to shape ultimately how this legislation is finalized and ultimately its impact and whether uh, potentially other governments, uh, such as the Conservative government, if it comes in any time in uh, the next term or the term after, uh, whether they would further change it. Um, and this really comes to the heart of some of the biggest debates we have in this country. So I'm, you know, on, on, some, on one hand optimistic that this is an opportunity to assess the things that make it hard to build projects that support Canada's economic well-being, um, positive that there could be some constructive uh, public discussion, uh, and research are certainly keen to participate in that, uh, but also nervous whether projects that would fall under this scope, and that's not every project in the country, only ones that uh, fit certain criteria could potentially be uh, you know, held in the balance uh, while this stuff is sorted out. Um, so there's going to be a lot of interest and scrutiny of this in the next little while.
0: And what impact, no pun intended, will this have on the law and industrial development in Canada?
1: Yeah, so if we're able to get to a point where um, the federal government uh, takes some of the criticisms, um, not just about constitutionality, which ultimately courts are concerned with, uh, but criticisms from industry that um, the process is overly convoluted, um, it uh, you know attempts to create constraints for development, uh, even where um, the will of the public, the will of um, you know the private sector, is to build things that create jobs and generate investment, um, the, my hope certainly is that the uh, federal government uh, assesses ways that it can um, strengthen that process, uh, clarify it, um, and ensure that yes, it fulfills the uh, spirit of what the court has told it it must do, uh, but also actually just gets us on track. Um, we have a. Tremendously difficult time as a country getting major projects built. Uh, It takes so much longer than anywhere else on the planet, um, which is notable because, you know, we're not uh, a peripheral, occasional resource exporter. Uh, It's the foundation of our economy uh, historically uh, and into the present day and certainly into the future, the types of natural resources that we have, whether it's minerals and metals, oil and gas products, hydrogen, forestry products, all of these things are a really important part of this breadbasket that enables Canada to have relevance in the world, support our allies, and build productive trading relationships around the world. And the Canadian public as a whole definitely supports it. Um, So some recent polling that uh, was done by the University of Ottawa's Positive Energy Initiative uh, found that four in five Canadians consider um, oil and gas to be quite important to Canada's current economy. Um, And uh, that's a pretty significant uh, statement. Um, And three in five believe that it's important to the future. Um, and, yes, there's uh, certainly components where the public uh, is concerned about climate change, um, but uh, there's an increase in worry about energy security. So all of these balancing factors, um, I think, are now part of the discussion in a way that potentially even a few years ago they weren't. Uh, we've been dealing with some uh, really uh, sharply rising and uncertain energy prices, affordability challenges, economic uncertainty and worry that people have about their jobs and families' well-being. So all of these factors, I I think, lead to um, this this potential for this legislation to be reviewed in a way that uh, enables the kinds of projects we want to build to get built. Um, And I'm I'm just excited to to see how that conversation evolves. I uh, do think the federal government has a big responsibility not to overstep the the court has said, you know, you, you guys did that, don't do that again. Uh, but that's, that's going to be um, a highly political decision, ultimately. And uh, I hope that uh, we don't end up uh, basically at uh, square one again. Some changes get made, uh, you know, are uh, further pursued in court. And then it's five to ten years before we have certainty in this area, not cleanly resolved in the next couple.
0: And we frequently talk about one especially promising industry in B.C., liquefied natural gas. Just yesterday, another project took a big step forward. How do you expect things to proceed from here?
1: Yeah, so um, an application uh, for an environmental assessment certificate um, has been now formally submitted by the Niska Nation, Rockies LNG Limited Partnership, and Western LNG. Um, And they together are the partners in the Silooms LNG project. Uh, Silooms is um, a floating liquefied natural gas uh, terminal um, just north of Prince Rupert. Uh, And, you know, leaving all conversation about federal jurisdiction aside, this one is cleanly uh, within BC jurisdiction, the BC Environmental Assessment Office, is uh, going to be reviewing this. There's going to be a 30-day public comment period, um, and it is a multi-step process. Um, you know, in some jurisdictions like Australia and Qatar, for example, uh, we've seen a number of LNG projects that, You know, get proposed, get funded, uh, get constructed, uh, and everything just happens in a handful of years, not the um, half a decade, decade that it takes. Um, you know, we're just approaching the completion of construction in the next couple of years for our largest private and investment project ever in Canadian history, and that's LNG Canada, coupled with Coastal Gas Link, which is the supply pipeline for that project. Um, That's the first major LNG export terminal uh, in Canada, and um, it's taken us a very long time, over a decade, uh, and actually even more, of uh, industry putting this forward, uh, successive governments uh, trying to create an enabling framework for uh, this project to get built, um, and that's going to be a huge step forward, but I'm thinking now about what comes next a huge amount of the labor force um, in many parts of British Columbia, particularly the North, that have been trained up on projects like coastal gas link, uh, projects like Trans Mountain, including in the interior of British Columbia and into the Lower Mainland, and Site C. And these major projects are actually wrapping up now. Um, They're coming to the end of their construction period. Um, So we're going to need to have more things that enable our economy to keep rolling forward uh, in these times of economic uncertainty around the world.
0: And finally, the conflict situation in the Middle East continues. As the situation evolves, what has come to mind for you? Yeah, you know, it's just very, very
1: heartbreaking. As, you know, I, I think I mentioned last week, I've been you know, reading really closely what's been going on. And um, my heart goes out to, ultimately, every civilian, especially, you know, on either side of the conflict line, whether they're Israeli or the Palestinian, who's dealing with this terror and this fear um, my, my own family uh, experienced something similar when the conflict in Eastern Ukraine erupted, uh, initially back in 2014. Um, so, you know, it, it has a real toll on people's well-being. It has a material cost. Thousands of people have lost their lives. And one thing that really comes to mind for me that I think it needs to be possible to um, condemn terrorism, to uh, condemn murder, to condemn um, brutality and the price of war on people, uh, without getting into a debate about uh, political alliances and positioning. Um, and that's a challenge that um, I think everyone, whether you're in media, you're a public commentator, you're a policymaker, needs to remember. Uh, it's very easy to misstep or you know, easily politicize the situation to one's own advantage. I'm, think, I'm seeing a lot of people taking potshots at their political opponents on either side of the equation because they're just not happy with a little bit of a position or a big difference in position uh, someone is taking on this issue Um, and I think that that's an inevitability of conflict anywhere it happens in the world we saw the same thing uh, play out with Ukraine and Russia Um, it's a very very dangerous and toxic tendency and I encourage everyone um, that's listening to this everyone that I engage with um, just try to remember the human cost of of politicized conflict uh, when it turns into proxy wars which is certainly is becoming and has become, um, people continue to pay a price. And the longer things like this uh, drag on, the greater that price is. And people's lives will continue to be irrevocably affected. People continue to lose their lives and their loved ones. Um, if, as a society, our rhetoric encourages further conflict. So I just want everyone to remember the, the cost of that and just do our utmost to uphold the value and need for peace and ideally long-term peace in the
0: Middle East. Thank you for your message there, Margaretta. We really appreciate it. You take care. You too.